All righty, folks, let's go ahead and kick it off as more people join. Um, so I think we're going to do things in a little bit of a different format than we usually do, um, because I, I assume that for you know many of you guys and many of the folks will be listening to this um, recording as a recording after the call that you know, the events of this week with regards to FTX um, and its impact on the crypto markets are top of mind. And I, I think that, you know, it's it's appropriate to use this just to talk, you know, generally about some, you know, major themes in in crypto as an industry broadly and, and how Umami is thinking about them and how we see ourselves fitting in. Um, so with that, We'll we'll get into it, and I think you're going to get some you know great perspective with both you know Alex G, um, our sort of legal regulatory affairs expert um, here as our chief legal officer, and uh, Prepop, who can talk about things from uh, from a technical perspective. So, you know, first of all, you know I, we're we're aware that there's a lot of folks who have been hit really hard by uh, the the collapse and and you know likely bankruptcy of of FTX. And, you know, we certainly, you know, feel for anyone who's been impacted and we, you know, wish you guys the very best. We have folks, you know, in our friend and family circles who were affected by it as well. Um, and, you know, I know that for, for many folks, this is sort of a, this is a moment where people are, are questioning the, the overall state of affairs in crypto. I think that, you know, FTX's collapse in particular uh, was a shock, you know, of course, because they are, you know, so trusted. They are, you know, a highly esteemed, reputed, you know, extremely um, well-connected CeFi platform. And so to see them go down uh, raises some concerns that, you know, go beyond, you know, what we saw, what, what people might have thought when we saw the collapse of, you know, Luna and Celsius uh, several months back. Um, and and so what I think you know collectively uh, we wanted to share on the Umami team are are some thoughts on sort of how how we interpret that and and what it means for Umami. And you know before I get you know too far into that, I, I did just want to say that for anyone wondering you know how Umami was affected in a concrete sense, you know whether it, um, the volatility in the markets posed any kind of risk to Umami holders um, or impacted our treasury. I will say that, you know, we're very pleased with with how we weathered things that, you know, holders were, you know, in no way impacted except for, of course, market wide price volatility. But even there, there was, you know, an enormous amount of uh, of buying activity uh, during the you know past couple of days in particular when Umami traded down dramatically. And so we, we fared quite well, you know, even from from a pricing from a price perspective and our treasury weathered the storm, you know, as well as, as anyone could expect in, in this period, it was, you know, so it was so volatile that conventional hedging strategies, uh, really didn't, you know, couldn't be expected to perform the way they normally would because there was, you know, a lack of liquidity, uh, for the short positions that, you know, would normally be used by our treasury and others as, as hedges because of, uh, the, the extreme, market downturn. Um, but despite that, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Wen Moon and Stephen T, who lead treasury management. They've did a really good job of, of preserving our assets. And, you know, we'll share a, a bit of a reflection in our treasury report, our community treasury update at the end of the month. But the key point is that, you know, of course, we, we took a modest hit, but all things considered, our runway is still extremely strong and um our our team our, our overall hedging strategy proved highly effective and and our team members in particular were very very responsive to a true black swan event which is what this was um and so with that you know i'll, I'll share a few thoughts on you know kind of just broader broader themes in the crypto space brought up by ftx and then i'll pass it to uh prepop and alex who will chime in as well um, but, you know, I think the key thing that we really want to convey, and, and we we don't want this to sound sort of triumphalist because that's not the appropriate mood for <laughs> for what's going on. But, you know, from from a very from a big picture perspective, it it is simply the case that this that what we saw with FTX is a really strong validation affirmation of, you know, the model that we're building 
at Umami, uh, the values that we hold, and, and of our general perspective on the direction that the markets uh, are going to be taking over the coming years. So, you know, if, you know, FTX was, as I mentioned, you know, one of the most reputed, most respected CFI, you know, centralized institutional uh, crypto players in the industry. And yet, you know, they, they still, you know, collapsed along, you know, exactly the same lines that, you know, truly trustless smart contracts are designed to solve for. There were trust assumptions and they failed clearly uh, to, you know, deliver in, in exactly the areas where people were uh, placing trust in them, right? And that custodial relationship, you know, that lack of, you know, true transparency that's that's possible with um, with blockchain transactions, you know, particularly those on Ethereum, that obviously was was you know the the central reason behind what we saw with FTX. And you know what's also worth flagging is that if you kind of if you're reading up on the backstory behind the uh, problems at FTX, you'll see that the the initial cause was you know was Luna, right? Which which kind of triggered the all much of the volatility we, that we've been seeing since uh, earlier this year. And that's an interesting that, that's an interesting fact because you know of course Luna is not um, a CFI platform. They were you know fundamentally an on-chain um, DeFi protocol, but they embodied a lot of you know the things that Umami in particular is is you know very decisively moving away from um, in DeFi. Right. So they had you know a, a very unsustainable tokenomics model. They were relying on you know, very heavily on kind of native tokens to drive value um, for their users. And, you know, that that played out the way that, you know, everyone's familiar with. So I think just what, what I wanted to share is that, yeah, the, the impact on the markets is unsettling. And it's it's a period of time where I think sort of in, in non-DeFi native circles, we're going to hear a considerable amount of... Um, negativity about you know crypto quote unquote broadly as a space but you know from our vantage point as you know people who are building a project that is really focused on kind of you know getting away from the excesses of DeFi, you know pre you know from mid 2022 prior um and trying to bring some of the you know professionalism and kind of the 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 focus on you know sustainable value creation that you do see you know more in kind of you know off chain VC backed um, enterprises and and combining that with you know a really really rigorous focus on trustlessness on transparency on you know permission having a permissionless and non custodial relationship with all of our users which is of course the antithesis of what FTX was implicitly asking of, of all of their depositors. That model is something that I think, you know, has been, you know, affirmed, you know, now multiple times by the events that um, that have shaken up the markets this year. And I, I think that while, while it does inevitably take time for perspectives like that to work their way through the market more broadly, and I think we're going to hear a lot of, you know, just generic bearishness on crypto, um, following what we've seen with FTX, that longer term, you know, what what Umami is committed to and sort of our, our general vision of, you know, what DeFi can bring and the problems of centralization that DeFi can solve for, you know, that it is simply is true. And we are seeing, I, I can speak from personal experience, more and more, um, you know, clients and, and users, including institutional clients, who do have an appreciation of that. And, I think that that narrative is going to continue to gain traction. So, you know, although short term, this is frustrating, I think long term, you know, both the fact that our team was was able to, you know, navigate some of the um, fallout so deftly and that, you know, all of the issues that we've seen that have caused problems in the space are precisely those that, you know, Umami is working to solve for. You know that that's really something that that at least you know internally among folks on the team and close members of our community continues to make us feel very optimistic and uh, happy to be doing what we're doing. So, I think with that, I will pass it on. Um, either Alex or Prepop, feel free to chime in and share any thoughts you have. Sure. Yeah, I could take this time. Um, yeah, I I want to go over some points too. Um, 
about this, the FTX blow up because uh, what else is there to talk about after this week, uh, right? Um, just, you know, very shocking um, chain of events that happened. Fascinating and entertaining, definitely. Um, but I think the main point is that all of us are here. You guys wouldn't be here listening to Umami if this is the exact same thing you want to eliminate or help work towards eliminating exactly what happened to FTX. And they put on such a face, um, uh, you know, uh, publicly that they embodied some of the decentralized finance ideals or, or cryptocurrency ideals. But in reality, their actions were the complete opposite, right? And not only that, they were lobbying against DeFi actively, right? So I think all in all, this was happening, right? Whether people knew about it or not, they were both um, committing these financial atrocity atrocities and lobbying against DeFi, what we're working towards. So ultimately the fall, although, uh, you know, very painful and, and my heart definitely goes out to people that did have funds um, on FTX. And, and I hope that the, you're able to find, you know, some resolution of some sort um, for, for those lost funds. But I think ultimately it's something that things will be better off for this happening now um, just because the continued damage they could have caused um, could have been worse. Uh, and uh, things are, are being revealed now. I think it's important right now for um, DeFi protocols in general to have strong communication um, and really try to to break away from and reverse the damage that FTX is doing in cryptocurrency as a whole. And I think, you know, time will help. Um, you know, to help some of these, uh, you know, the messaging that that's going to be out there for the next few weeks as as this gets picked up in in media and things, and it only motivates us further because uh, everyone on the team is uh, you know in alignment with with the the true goals of what 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 originally excited us when we first heard about cryptocurrency, whether it was, you know, when we first learned about Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or any part of it, um, in the transparency, the trustlessness, right? Trustlessness um, of, of smart contracts, of decentralized Turing complete programming language um, that, that is unstoppable. Um, and, so, you know, I, I just, it, you know, this has been on my mind fully of, of what's happening because, of course, you're concerned about, about the damage that it's going to do to the, to the word cryptocurrency. Um, but I think in the long run, these companies had to be wiped out in, in one way or another. And, and it's just, you know, unbelievable that, that they were doing what they were doing, FTX. And um, there's uh, a... A Twitter account I want to highlight called, uh, her name is Suzuha, and she's a real cypherpunk. Like, I have such respect for her always, uh, and her commitment to cryptography as a whole uh, in fighting several problems, um, especially authoritative governments um, and, and government oversight. But um, back in June, she had a tweet that was um, talking about something really important, and that's that a lot of communication is out there, um, specifically in you know hedge funds that are that were looking for exposure into cryptocurrency, and they were told that you know the real crypto cryptocurrency product. <clears throat> which allows these transparency, trustlessness, accountability, um, you know, on-chain reserves that people can check, verifiable proofs. The real technology of cryptocurrency was this dark, shadowy place where there's crime and, and skirting around laws. Somehow that, you know, became the narrative to 
to funds and uh, you know there's pension funds and 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 things that were investing in companies like FTX where that was you know shown the light of like well this is the respectable way to get involved in in cryptocurrency right is through these these companies um, that are that are reaching out to celebrities and and uh, advertisements all over and things so um, it's important I think. For for umami and and everyone involved that we continue to um, stress the real benefits and and communicate the real benefits of DeFi and the things that we're all working for the core values that we hold close for decentralized finance because um, the world will be a better place um, with adoption and and these principles the trustless principles decentralized principles and um, decentralization is extremely important to us uh, at umami and you know we've we've touched on our eth staking product um, in q1 but uh, again it's going to be a big focus um, for us uh, for these same reasons and um, anyway so that's my blurb. What happen, even if anybody wants to come up for a therapy session or, or discussion about these these uh, recent events, we invite people once we get to the question part of things to come up and, and share their thoughts as well. But uh, just wanted to I thought you know I think it's important to to talk and cover this now with all these events and and you know how we feel as a team, how we feel personally, and and how we feel as a, as a, a DAO as Umami as a whole and. Um, Anyways, I, I do want to give an update, too, on, on the tech progress. Um, things have been going great. I want to highlight one of our devs in particular. Um, his name is Toki. I cannot say enough great things about Toki. He is uh, every day driving forward the most challenging um, parts of our, of our vault algorithm for the reallocation. And, um, and every day he's, he's pushing and, and pushing improvements and, um, you know, if you if you aren't following him on Twitter, give, definitely give him a follow. Um, he's a brilliant Solidity dev and a brilliant person. And um, you know this this week has been uh, a good week, a very productive week uh, for us. And some of the key details uh, in this particular um, netting algorithm that that that's going to be in the in the final solution. And so um, that's been that's been good. The other focus has been on the white paper that we've discussed, which really gets into the methodology of our backtesting simulation modeling. And, uh, you know, if, you know, one of the good things, and it's not necessarily good, but one of the one of the things that came out of this last week is uh, a perfect black swan event to go into the backtesting and, and the white paper. So uh, the data will be pulled from this week. Um, both in mar- market volatility, but also, um, you know, how GMX performed, how GLP performed, uh, in, in these, you know, extreme downturns of, of, uh, of uh, one of the, the second largest exchange blowing up and, and uh, you know, sharp price drops. And, um, and so, you know, we have all of our safeguards that we've been working on in the vault. Um, this is a perfect chance to test it on, on real-world data, um, and, and very recent at that too. So that will be included in, in the back testing. Um, but yeah, the, the white paper will continue to, to push out data results and, and hope to ha- have that out soon. And um, there will be a minor release of the front end, and, um, a, a new uh, release cycle. So there will be some updates. A lot of the feedback that we've received will be going into um, this new release. I want to give a shout out to Gray Pixel and Clones Cody who are on this spaces. They've done a fantastic job of, of listening uh, and and getting all these important items in the in the dev cycle and and continue to uh, work towards that and also make great progress on the phase two uh, launch, which we have mentioned before, which will include dashboard for both personal and protocol metrics and stats along with the UI for the vault products. Uh, when those are ready to go, the front end will be ready to go as well. So um, so there will be a minor re- release and uh, Gray Pixel had a, a great plan to include the release notes in uh, the community updates whenever those go out. So um, if, you, if you're reading along or following our updates in Discord, uh, we will have a continuous change log of, of all the updates that go into the front front end when uh, when those release cycles are pushed 
And um, that really covers it for me. Um, I'm here, as always, to answer any questions that people might have. And I want to give the mic back uh, over to Alex G, who can uh, give us his thoughts on, on uh, you know, this, this whole situation this past week. Um, thanks. Th- thanks, Prepop, and, and, and thank you, DeFi. Those are all, um, I think, really great thoughts on, on the current situation. And, of course, um, probably goes without saying I'm super bullish on uh, on all the, you know, v- uh, V2 vaults uh, developments that, that we've had since the the, the last AMA. And, and I'm re- very glad and proud of all of our team that, that just uh, the level to which everybody has um, – you know, reacted, I think, in an appropriate way to the developments of the week. But at the same time, uh, everybody's really kept their shoulder on the wheel to uh, to keep the project moving forward in, in a way that is, uh, I think, very admirable um, during, uh, uh, obviously, like, uh, quite a challenging environment. Um, so so r- really proud of the team in, in that sense. Um, you know, in terms of um, my, my thoughts on, on the situation with FTX this week, I actually, um, I actually really liked how how Kapitiz, uh, uh framed the question in our Discord on 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 the in our AMA channel in the Discord about how um, Binance effectively could be placed in regulatory scrutiny if, if the deal had gone through. And of course, he he posted that uh, <laughs> yesterday morning U.S. time, which is feels like about a month ago. But uh, so obviously, uh, the deal did not go through, and and. Uh, as as SBF announced for the world to see on Twitter this morning, CZ won and, uh, and and you know good game or or whatever. But um, the uh, I, I I think that the, the framing of the question is is I think re- really really optimal because I, I think one way that you can look at the uh, conflict between. Binance and FTX is is actually um, as like uh, uh, th- through the frame of competing regulatory regimes. I think that if if you're in the U.S., um, it it it's it's it, it's easy to view Binance as the unregulated entity and 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 FTX as 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 the regulated entity uh, because of the level to which. FTX was participating in the U.S. Uh, political system, which I, I want to come back to. Um, but I, I think that's actually not really the right way to characterize Binance. I think the correct way to characterize Binance is they have gone, they, instead of optimizing for U.S. regulators, they optimize for um, other regulators like Singapore and the UAE, where 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 they're organized, and and um, this is not, you know, new to this is not unique to crypto or DeFi or or or, or anything that that um, you have these competing regulatory regimes and uh, different financial institutions will will take advantage of the competing regulatory regimes in, in any area to to suit their needs, and so you know. The the whole issue, I think, sort of boils down. If, if you look at the genesis of, of of the immediate conflict between Binance and FTX, it I, I think that a big catalyst for it was actually uh, what what we were talking about. I think it was on the last AMA, or maybe it was two weeks ago. I, I can't remember now um, about the the DCCPA and and FTX's efforts to um, basically create a regulatory monopoly for itself um, in, in the United States and, and using a government regulator um, to, to uh, you know, limit a, a, an opponent and, uh, and create a market advantage. Um, and it's, uh, uh, it's really not what we needed as an industry right now to be blunt about it i mean i mean it it's uh you never want to say something is the worst thing that could have happened but this was pretty close um and and uh you know it's it, it, and i mean that in terms of credibility um you know we 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 have been there's been an attempt i think within crypto broadly and and DeFi more specifically to 
educate policymakers in Washington about uh, what DeFi is and, and what it can represent in terms of transparency in markets, in the financial system, in a way that can benefit, they can provide equal benefit to all market participants. And um, that suffered a really big hit by the DCCPA, uh, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I think I was probably pretty critical of the DCCPA. In hindsight, I wish I had been more critical of it, obviously. Um, you'll find a lot of people who are critical of it now, um, but, but it really clearly now represented, and I think was clear to a lot of people at the time too, an attempt to, to, to use regulation to, to benefit a non-transparent entity and allow it to, to, to simply be more, be less transparent, excuse me. And, you know, um, is that what Binance is doing? Sure, absolutely that's what Binance is doing. They're just using, you know, a different set of governments to to accomplish that, that, that same goal. And um, that's really, we really do not want to have different regulatory regimes trying to pick winners and losers in, in crypto because that's not, I mean, that's just how the financial world works. We're not building anything new if we do that. And, um, you know, so going forward, um, we have a real credibility problem in our industry now. It's, it's, uh, it's, and I don't want to, I don't want to overstate that problem, but I actually think it's, it's kind of difficult to overstate that problem at, at, at the current moment. Um, because so much of the kind of nascent um, DeFi and crypto lobbying effort in in DC was, I mean, I'm not going to say it was behind the DCCPA because everybody was a little sketched out by the DCCPA, but it, it wasn't opposed to it to the to the level it 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 should have been, and and you know. The fact that two months ago there wasn't a loud voice in D.C. pointing to FTX and, and, and saying, hey, those guys aren't with us, um, is going to be a real problem, you know, now, now that the events that have transpired have transpired. And, of course, nobody knew two months ago that the wheels were going to fall off at FTX. So, you know, you, you, I don't want to sit here and, and Monday morning quarterback. Um, but I think the reality is... That you know, two two things occurred this week, right? One is is the collapse of FTX, which we're sort of all f focused on, rightly so. And then the other is this election, which um, is going to more likely than not, it seems like, extremely more likely than not, cause there to be um, you know split uh, Congress in the U.S. Which which and I'm not going to get political here in terms of of what my personal opinion is, but I I, think it, I don't think it's too political to say that generally means that it, it's difficult to get legislation through. So, so what does that mean on a practical level? Well, what it means on a practical level is that um, we're not going to get laws, right, that, that actually um, provide clarity about the regulatory landscape for, for DeFi. That's, that's very unlikely to happen. So that means that the agencies that, currently are um you know in, in charge of have put themselves in charge of of, of, of DeFi and, and crypto more broadly are going to just widen their scope and the, the other thing that happened um i think last week i think that was just at the end of the week last week not this week but um what is time uh was of course the district court of new hampshire decision regarding um uh the lbry token and um Another uh, real kick in the nuts, to be honest, uh, in terms of in terms of developments, obviously massively overshadowed by by everything that happened with with FTX, but but the LBRY decision is is really troubling because what what it says is that you know when you apply the Howey test to to a token, it um, you can look at the finder of fact, which is in this case the judge and a motion for summary judgment, can look at not only the statements that are made by the issuer of the token, but certain conduct of the issuer of the token to determine if, if a token is a security. 
And what is particularly alarming about, about this decision and very troublesome to me is that the, the judge held that the, by, with, by holding back tokens um, for the protocol, for, for the team, even in the absence of any statement that, oh, we're hoping for that to go up, the value of those tokens to go up, just that conduct of holding back the tokens can be used to infer that um, uh, there is no more um, that, 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 that there's the prong of the Howey test of using the efforts of others to increase value in the investment is satisfied um, by virtue, just by virtue of that fact of, of holding back the tokens. And um, again, it, it's one of these things that, you know, you have a court that probably does not really understand the technology that that's in front of it. And because of that, it's making some weird assumptions that it would never apply to, to anything else. Right. Because like, I mean, apply that logic to a winery, right? A winery creates, you know, grows grapes, creates wine from the grapes and holds back some of those bottles of wine because, you know, in five years that that bottle of wine is going to be more valuable than it is today. So you, so you might as well hold it to, to, you know, control the market for, for that bottle of wine. And, you know, it's, it's, it's comparable, right. To the, to the LBRY case, because obviously the argument at LBRY is like, well, these tokens have utility. These are L1 tokens. So, you know, people are purchasing these tokens so that they can use them as a medium of exchange. There's a consumptive intent. And I think that one, one mistake that, that crypto security lawyers have made in the last few years is, is probably reading a little bit too much into the value of this consumptive intent. So, you know, if, you know, <laughs> and I, I myself have been guilty of this in the past, right. But now I know that this is no longer the case. Like, any talk of utility tokens don't listen to it right that's not a meaningful category in the united states anymore um and and so you know you, you with, with this decision i i think you, you you can no longer say okay well even if if people are are buying these tokens to use them in some fashion if there is this belief that exists out in the ether uh even if it's unstated that the value of the token will go up then that makes the token a security. And getting back to the wine example, you know, no court in the United States is going to buy an argument from the SEC that a bottle of wine is a security, right? That's patently stupid. And and nobody and like it just doesn't make any sense. But when you when you slap crypto, the label crypto on the same argument, then, then it becomes something else, right? And and so um, you know, that I think. Is, is a big problem because what what, ha what had happened this morning, right? You have Gary Gensler going on CNBC saying, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really want to talk about FTX because like they know at the SEC that they, they were kind of looking the other way on FTX because FTX is sort of the golden child in Washington and they weren't really going to do anything about, about the big player. Um, so what did he want to talk about? He wanted to talk about this win in the LBRY case and, um, you know, without any kind of legislation that pulls the SEC back, we're going to just continue to see, I think, more and more aggression um, from, from the SEC because th th there's not going to be any, any pushback to stop them from, from uh, filling that space. And, um, yeah, again, I... And, and, and very soon somebody else needs to start talking because this is all doom and gloom and it's not going to get better. But for me, at least, but, but the, the, I think the net impact of this, I mean, we're going to react the way we need to react to protect ourselves and our community at, at Uman. That I think goes without saying, but more, more broadly, you know, <laughs> people who are making the innovations in this space are not going to want to be in the United States anymore because there's too much risk in the United States. And that gets more and more true every day. And um, as uh, you know, I obviously am an American and, and live in the United States. And 
I think that's quite unfortunate that that's that that's the situation that 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 we've created, and um, you know I'm I'm kind of like everybody else right now that I'm I'm looking to see who who is the person who actually has the plan to solve this, and and I and you know it's maybe it's blockchain association maybe they were able to put enough distance between themselves and the DCCPA to maintain some credibility in DC. I kind of doubt that's the case, but I hope that's the case. Um, you know, it's, uh, but, but, uh, it's, it's, it's not at all clear to me, uh, you know, who, who solves this problem right now. So, um, I'm going to give it back to, uh, DeFi and, and hopefully he can say something positive. I apologize for having like nothing positive to say. Thanks, Alex. No, that was, that was really interesting. And I, I agree with you that on, you know, the regulatory front, uh, that there really is very little positive to say, and I haven't, you know, seen many signs of light, you know, particularly in the United States. I mean, you know, the the only thing that I can think that is is positive is that uh, there are other jurisdictions that are taking, you know, a much more forward thinking approach to crypto, and thankfully, right by by its nature, uh, blockchain is global, and you know, irrespective of you know any given jurisdiction's regulatory regime, the the services of, you know, at least for permissionless DeFi protocols on networks like Ethereum, they're they're available to everyone. And I, I think that, you know, the the reality is that um, try as they might and sort of, you know, irrespect. What, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the reality is that although it might feel at times that, you know, the regulatory winds, whichever way they seem to be blowing, are going to be determinative of outcomes for uh for our industry or for others I, I think the the deeper truth is that you know it is ultimately you know tech that always wins when there is a you know when, when there's a collision between you know the preferences of regulators and um just kind of the the innate features of new technologies it's always technology that pulls ahead and ultimately up to the regulators to adapt to the new tech um so i think that you know long term the prospects are extremely bright our space i think that you know like uh all of us have been saying you know, throughout this call these these seemingly negative events uh such as what happened with ftx are 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 not so and, and that's because you know ultimately ftx was you know a perfect embodiment of a sort of regulated cfi model one that was leaning heavily you know as we as, as alex was saying you know into you know a strategy of essentially regulatory capture um, instead of innovation as its way to have a competitive moat. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the fact that even FTX, with all of its alleged credibility, you know, is, is, is now where it is, is, you know, proof that there is going to be an overwhelming demand in the market for truly trustless solutions. And that's what we're building here, right? And we're not alone. It's not like Umami is the only project doing this. There are many really incredible projects and teams that are fundamentally committed to, you know, advancing blockchain technology and are, and are committed to, you know, the value system that's kind of driven this sector um, since its inception. So the regulatory context story is a bleak story, right? I think it will continue to be bleak. I think it might get bleaker, particularly in the United States. I think that it's almost because of that, right, that more and more people are going to seek trustless decentralized solutions as an alternative for all kinds of things and and that certainly you know motivates me and and i know you know as as you know both alex and prepop pointed out everyone in our team is really aligned with that um and maybe that's kind of the note i'll i'll end it on is just you know listening to you know prepop and alex sort of share the thoughts they were sharing and kind of talking with other people on the team and you know close members of our community um over the past couple of days it's really it's it really is it is actually true that umami is a is a company slash project with values and that's like it sounds so cliche but the reason it sounds cliche is because everyone says it and it's usually not true and it's just really quite wild when you look around and you realize that like virtually everyone here is in it for something more than you know the money and kind of you know or, or potential kind of economic upside um, or, you know, differentiation by any means, even if it's something that is negative, net negative for the space. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it is something special we have here. And I think that that's true, you know, at other protocols, you know, it's really sincere, uh, projects in, in our space as well. So I, I that's something that I, I find, you know, inspiring and it comes out 
um, you know, all the more clearly at times like this. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's take some questions. Hi there, Dennis. It's maybe a bit off, but uh, I've just been a lurker until now. And every time I've been watching some news on uh, your Twitter page, every time it seems like uh, you did some some onboarding. Uh, I don't know how to say in English properly, but uh, you accepted some people for the staking and then very fast the staking were uh, full. Uh, so never had the chance to really go for uh for that the previous weeks and months so i wanted to know if you plan on set up new incentive like that or uh news about civil coin staking uh our v1 vaults uh launched and uh we were scaling tbl in a limited way at the time that's probably why he didn't have the chance to enter and um in that vault we found issues in the in the cost of hedging that the product did not meet the expectations um, for our delta neutral stable staking. So um, what we did is we um, unwound the the vault and let everyone deposit, and everyone came at least uh, you know got all the money that they deposited plus any fees that they might have paid to enter. And the last few months, we have been we've identified um, even before the vault was shut down, we've identified a much better way to. Um, handle this this product that um that you're t talking about and and one of the vaults will be the usdc or stablecoin vault um and it works with glp um which is gmx's liquidity pool for the the decentralized exchange which um you know dexes it's their time to shine right now <laughs> with the you know the the pitfalls so public of of centralized exchanges And there will be, uh, you know, this advanced hedging algorithm that, that we're working on right now for the, the past months that will be launched, you know, as, as soon as it's ready. And, and um, we're going to be having uh, much more detailed updates uh, based on that. But the, the essential premise is the same, where uh, you will stake your underlying token of choice, whether it's a stable coin, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and the vault will track the underlying asset price. If you deposit in the Ethereum vault, your shares will follow the price of Ethereum plus the yield that you get from GLP. Same with Bitcoin and same with stablecoin. And, you know, the, the, the benefit of the stablecoin vault is you don't have the market volatility uh, that you do with the volatile assets. But um, people definitely have the option to enter Bitcoin and, and Ethereum vaults. To, to catch the upside of those markets. And, you know, I, I myself particularly interested in, in the Ethereum vault and holding Ethereum for the long-term upside uh, of the product. I'm a, I'm a big Ethereum believer. We will be having the, the vaults relaunched and, yeah, follow along for more updates on those. And just by nature of the new method that we're going to have, the scaling will probably be able to be a little bit faster than, than it was before because we're not reliant on these perpetual pool balances anymore um, in, in, our, in our balancing of, of, the, of the hedging. But yeah, more, more details will be, will be out soon on those. Did you have any specific questions? Okay, no, thank you for that. I was just uh, wondering about when, but I see that it will be in the upcoming month. So uh, it's all good. Just wanted to know a bit more. Did any questions come in on the Discord? I don't have it pulled up. Yeah, we got one actually. The uh, Copatees posted his. Hang on. Copatees wants to know. Uh, I think it's actually a really good question. Uh, something that we talk about quite a bit. If you, you know, he's talking about how forks of our. I, I think what he's asking is how forks of our V2 yield strategies um, would potentially dilute. Um, the yield from from gmx or i probably more accurately glp um you know it, assuming that we have uh vaults that work well and then there's copycats uh but there's a limited pool of yield uh from 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 gmx how we uh we plan on dealing with that so um i i have some thoughts on it but but probably uh it pre-pop if you got anything that's responsive you can probably go first sure so you know The first, the first element of protection. It, it this is regarding forking and and protection from forking. Is that right? Well, I think um, Alex is talking about more the potential for forks to dilute the returns on GLP if you have too many 
you know, different projects pushing TVL into GLP. But I actually agree that you know, protection of our, our of our IP from forking is a good topic as well. Sure. So one of the things, that, the important things to note is the product has to work. Um, and if someone's forking, whether they try to replicate our strategy or they come up with their own strategy, it's it's something that requires a lot of work um, to, to get right. And, um, you know, that's why we've spent these last months uh, doing the complete in-house strategy backtesting simulating model phase. So um, I think ultimately the, the, the two direct steps we're taking in protection of forking is um, licensing our code. Um, and so, you know, we do have uh, a, an entity that is capable of, um, you know, defending that, defending that, the use of that code. Um, and the second thing, which is, you know, much more passive and probably the thing that will protect from forks the most is that um, our actual um, allocation algorithm uh, is quite advanced. And um, it's not something that can be easily replicated correctly. And so what, what happens is if the allocations aren't right, um, if the rebalances aren't right, um, and if there is not the advanced knowledge of the internal netting system that, that we're planning, the product's not going to work if they fork. Uh, it, won't, it will not have the correct delta exposures uh, in the vault. So you'll see, um, you know, most likely um, the, the delta neutral vault will have delta exposure. The others won't track to the right elements. And, and what that comes out to and to the end user is they're not making money, right? Um, and so I think, um, you know, that's, that's definitely the strong points um, for, for protection. Now, just as GLP as a whole, I think GLP, uh, GMX is still growing, right? Um, if, you, if you look at week after week. Not every week has the same asset utilization rate, but you're talking about a, a decentralized protocol that is growing on a growing chain that has limits um, to how much interest can be taken out based on the GLP. So as, as GLP grows, those limits can go higher, meaning even higher utilization, which means more fees for the protocol. And, um, you know, I'm looking right now, they have $350 million worth of assets in GLP, the liquidity pool, and they're getting a 28% return, just ETH only, 28.8% return on $350 million uh, in capital. And as I mentioned before, as, as user growth grows, as decentralized exchanges grow, and, and this is what we, you know, firmly believe will be the trajectory, uh, especially what, what we're seeing with FTX. Um, I think scale, you know, there will be potential for, for lots of scaling still. Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's kind of my thoughts on it. I hope that answered the, the question. I, I see another um, question, too, uh, that came in in the Discord, and it's uh, we ditched tracer pools for hedging. The answer is yes. Yeah, the tracer the tracer pools were not the correct solution, and this will be. And there is a section in our white paper where we do a post mortem and a comparison. But essentially, the thought was um, seemingly the tracer perpetual pools looked like a low cost option that had no liquidation risk, but uh, in reality, the costs were just hidden, and the costs were based on the counterparty. Um, the counterparty side of, of the vaults, right? Some were long, some were short. And, and essentially, uh, we launched a standalone Delta Neutral vault, which has its own challenges. If you have a standalone Delta Neutral vault, the cost of hedging is going to be high regardless. But in the case of the Tracer Perpetual pools, the volatility of that pool itself uh, was a direct... Uh, had a direct correlation with the cost that you had to pay for hedging at that time. And um, there were several other technical constraints and economic constraints with the design that did not make it uh, 
a solution for the vault products. And, you know, I think during the course after we had launched, we had identified these problems, you know, the we had identified a better solution that we were working through. And, um, you know, ultimately, because of um, some of the things we had identified happening much earlier than we expected, that mainly being the skew volatility hitting a, a lot harder earlier on and uh, the skew imbalances becoming what we considered our critical thresholds within three weeks of the vault. That's when we made the plan to, uh, you know, take a pause on the current vaults and reiterate with a new solution. And, and, um, and we've been putting in the work ever since. So that's, that's really the, the, um, you know, short answer to, to the tracer uh, hedging mechanics and, um, I think yeah, the white paper is going to be very interested. If you know, if you're asking these questions, you'll be really interested to read the white paper and, and get more details and, and see some of the comparisons. In it. Uh, and I just wanted to add, um, you know, on the discussion, the, the discussion of IP uh, in in um, people forking the vault and everything. Um, we, um, I, I am actually looking forward to, at some point, I hope in the near future, to take a little bit of time on one of these community calls to actually outline um, in 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 detail uh, what what our strategies are going to look like um, for for how we're going to do that. Because I and, and uh, I, I think we've actually got some some pretty good ideas about how we can go about, you know, maintaining the sort of general ethos of DeFi, but. Uh, protecting the IP that we've developed, um, you know, uh, uh, for the vaults uh, to the benefit of the um, of, of of the users of the vault. So, um, but uh, we have three minutes left, and I have a feeling that whenever I, we get into that conversation, it will probably be breed more questions. So, um, I, I, I did just want to uh, kind of uh, put 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 a put a flag on that to say that um, that that is a conversation that will I think be going more in depth. In, in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Alex. Um, and yeah, I just want to, I want to second um, what Alex said, and then also, you know, Prepop's point, which, which is really important is just that, you know, ultimately, you know, the strongest, the strongest moat against competition is having a product that is, you know, objectively, um, you know, far ahead of peers and is very difficult to replicate, right? And, you know, we will protect our IP and, and we think that, you know, that's very much the uh, the appropriate way to do it. And as Alex said, he has some you know, very innovative ideas for how to do that in a way that is um, aligned with, you know, our 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 values as a, as a DeFi protocol and as a DAO. Um, but ultimately, you know, we, we don't think we will have to resort to it because it simply would be extremely difficult to replicate to, to truly replicate replicate what we're building. Um, and with that, yeah, as as uh, as was mentioned, we only have a, a minute or so left, so I think um, I think we'll call it a wrap here. And I just wanted to give a big thank you to uh, both Prepop and Alex for some really good comments on the uh, the events of this week. And I look forward to hearing from all of you guys next week. Mm -hmm.